Okay, let's start again. Great. Let's just start. Let's start the whole podcast again. That'll be a really cool thing that makes me feel good. <laughs> hey, guys. How you doing? It's Aiden Jones. You listen to Sitting Under a Tree for Tuesday, the 22nd of June, 2021. I didn't actually record that much. I just recorded like 10 seconds. But I, you know what? I was happy with how it was going. And then my microphone unplugged. And so now I'm starting the whole fucking podcast again and I feel upset. And this now feels like a bad way to start, doesn't it? Feels like I'm upset. I'm putting that on you guys. I'm projecting that. You're going to feel that off of me. Oh, shit. Oh, fuck. When's my fucking therapist appointment? Oh, it's at one. I think it's at one. God damn. Oh, man. Today is just not going well to start. Thank fuck. Tuesday the 22nd at 1pm. For a second, I thought it was at 11. It's 10.57 right now. I thought my fucking therapist was in three minutes. Oh my God. All right. This, that's, this is a good start. This is where we are today. This is where I'm at. I'm feeling, uh, yeah, evidently, I'm just not very together. Oh my God. How are you guys? I hope you're doing well. Having a, a, uh, are you having a good week? Why do I feel like this? I've had a pretty good week, man. I've been doing a lot of comedy. I've actually this week had a few gigs where I've, I guess in the last few weeks I've been talking about how I feel very defensive on stage. I've noticed myself having this like negative body language and, um, I've started to open my body up a little bit. And then also, I'm, I had a really nice uh, conversation actually last night. Oh, God, a lovely nourishing sip of tea. A, uh, a conversation with um, this new comic called uh, Chelsea Evans. And um, she was talking about how she was... I, I, I'd already done the gig. It was just like a open mic in St Kilda and I was first and... I was talking to her after my set and she was like, oh, I want to tell this story or this story or whatever. And um, she was talking about how she wants to, I guess, just be a little bit more yeah, free on stage or whatever. And I was saying how that's something that I've been working on as well because, um, yeah, sometimes I just – I feel like I write – writing is important. It's the most important thing. But it also is like a trap in a way – to put too much emphasis on the things that you wrote in the day because like if I write some jokes in the day and then I go on stage at night with this like shopping list in my head of jokes that I just have to try it's um the performance stops being a performance it's just me in one way or another just reading from a list in my head and then I'm not connecting to the people in front of me and so how are they going to laugh if I'm just gla- like eyes glazed over, you know, trying jokes that I wrote and obviously just needing those jokes to work? Like, how is that an engaging performance, you know? So while it is important to write jokes, it's also important to get on stage and then just let that, let those jokes go. And if they come back, like just talk about the thing that you care about. For me, that's what I need to do is I need to talk about the thing that I'm thinking about, that I'm you know, 
worried about or or just I'm excited the story that I'm excited to tell or whatever. And if I can tell that story and then organically the jokes that I wrote come up, well, that just means they're good jokes that I wrote jokes about something that I care about. And if they don't come up, then, you know, maybe those weren't the right jokes for right now. Um, so, uh, yeah, she had a, like Chelsea had a thing that's like, a, you know, relationship thing. I don't want to tell her story, but. Um, something that she'd been thinking about that she was kind of excited about and it was nice and it was like funny the way that she explained it to me and um, she went on stage and talked about it and it was sick. It was great. And when I, I did that for my set, I felt like I did that as well. I, um, I'll tell you, tell the story. Actually, it was on Saturday night. I, uh, I was walking home from, man, Saturday was actually great. I worked. I've been working a lot the last few weeks. Oh my god, I get paid today. I'm one, one, one. Um, and um, so I worked all day, long day. Got home, and I told everyone I'd put on all the comedy hubs, the Melbourne comedy hubs. Like, just you know, I'll read what I put actually, because I was, you know what, I'm gonna say it. I was pretty happy with. I guess what I'm trying to do with the show, Bobby Peels, um. God, where is it? Where is it? Bum, 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 dun, dun, dun. Yeah. So we've got our show at Bobby Peel's, this bar in North Melbourne that is just letting us, you know, use the room upstairs. And it's awesome. And it's just kind of what I've always wanted. But I guess I've just at this point been scared to take advantage of this offer because I don't know. We've got the show on Thursdays and that's more kind of being like headed up by the other guys. Um, because I don't think the show that I was running at the workers club, I don't think I can run that show here. It's not the same venue. It doesn't feel the same. This venue doesn't call for what I was trying to do at the workers club was make like the biggest show. You know, I was trying to just put on the best show that I could and get the most people in the room and have like a really fucking exciting show, whatever. And Bobby Peels isn't that venue. It's not a cool venue. It's not, it's a cool place. Like it's. It's good, but it's not cool. The Workers' Club is cool. It's a place where young people go. They have their student night and it's like, it's a bar, whereas Bobby Peels is more of a pub. And so I think it calls for a different kind of show. And um, so I'm not going to try and put the work in to Bobby Peels that I was putting into the show at the Workers' Club because they're different places. So I guess I've been stuck as to what kind of show would I want to run in this space that has been given to us for free. And I think the kind of show that I want to run is one where anyone can come and it's silly and dumb and, and, you know, just like could be bad. It could be bad. I want to let it be bad. If it's going to be bad, I want to let it be bad rather than fighting against the current to try and make it good. Guess that sounds kind of defeatist, but in letting a show be bad, there's fun in that, right? So on Saturday night, I put this message in the Melbourne comedy scene hub or a variation. There's three hubs. I put a variation of this message, but this was the best one that I put 6 PM show at Bobby Peels tonight. A few spots open. If you show up, honestly, I'd love to see some insane cunt. I've never met before. Get on stage and say some wild shit, then walk out and never be heard of again. If you think you're that person, see you tonight. And, um, and I put that up at like 4 PM and the show's at six. And, um, Got a few takers, man. I had probably like 15 people sign up. 
a lot of friends, a lot of comics I know, whatever. Um, but it was really fun to get there and just have people fucking hanging out, being around and, and, you know, jump on stage. I, I got to do one thing that I'm trying to focus on as well with this new material thing is, and a reason why I've been kind of hesitant when I, when I was doing the show at the workers, I wanted it to be good so badly that I was scared that it was going to be bad. Right. And so I would MC and I wanted to put my stamp on the night. I wanted to be, I wanted to run a show. My idea initially was to run a show where I'm the MC and the show has a recognizable quality because of that, because I MC every week and, you know, I say whatever things come into my mind when I'm MCing. If someone does bad, I like the idea that when someone does poorly, I make fun of them. I'm not scared to say that someone on my show was shit. You know, I think that's important to not just go, hey, we've got the best show ever. Like, like you know, razzle-dazzle. It's all good. Everyone's so great. No, some people aren't great. Sometimes people suck. So... Yeah, I was. I guess I was scared because I was putting so much work into the show at the Workers Club that I wanted it to always be good, that when the people showed up, I was scared to admit to them even in the audience, the people that I'd got there, you know, that the show might not be living up to my expectations. So I guess I wasn't emceeing and hosting the show, it's hosting, I'm hosting the event, I'm setting the tone, and I wasn't doing that in the way that I had envisioned in my head, because I was putting so much work into it, so this week at Bobby Peels, I was just, I, I, um, oh, and also, because I was, like, wanting the show to be good, I was doing all of my best material, trying to get, like, force people to have fun, like, I'm gonna do my best shit, and I was doing that out of fear, that wasn't the stuff that I was excited to talk about. I just wanted the show to be the best show. But I don't want to run a show where everyone has to feel like they do their best material. I want to run a show where people feel like they just say whatever the fuck they want. So it was almost like in putting so much work into it, it turned into a show that wasn't what I had in my mind. So this week at Bobby Peels, I was like, well, I want to work on this one story that I've been talking about, about getting fired from that job. And so I'm just going to go on and I've got the jokes that I've written, but I'm not going to list the jokes off. I'm just going to talk to the people in the room who were just other comedians, by the way, not any fucking audience members or anything because I didn't promote the show. So it was just other comics and I just chatted and I ended up doing 12 minutes, which is another thing that I'm scared of is when I do these open mics doing too long. But... I want to do a long time because I also want to be able to settle in and, and not be constrained to like, oh, I'm only doing five minutes and then I can't explore the story. So I don't know. I feel like I'm really fighting against myself at the moment. I have an idea in my head of how I want the process to look, but then, you know, anytime I fucking start down the road of like, all right, well, let me get closer to what I want that process to be doing long sets and very loose and whatever. Then I go, well, I need people there. And so it's, it, it's like almost, that's the two things, isn't it? I want to be able to not care, but I also want to be able to not care in front of an audience. And for there to be an audience, I need to work hard to get them there. 
and that means that I care. And so if there's an audience in front of me that I've gotten there, well, then I start to care and then I don't do the thing that I want. Fuck. So on Saturday at Bobby Peels, I just did, I did like 12 minutes. I was about to stop at seven minutes after I'd done kind of half the story and then um, the the great Dan Rosario fucking prompted me with a question and sent me off on another like few minutes and I don't know, I feel like I got somewhere with the story. It was good. After I do this and go to therapy, I'm going to sit down and uh, and write the rest of that story. Well, I'm going to write some more jokes for it. I don't know. I'm emceeing Catfish tonight and that's a big test because Catfish is a good show and that is exactly the kind of show where I might be tempted to do my best stuff, you know, because there's pressure on me. But I gotta. what I want to do tonight is not do my best stuff, just be natural and have that be good. Have that be good. <laughs> anyway, fuck. So... After Bobby Peels, we do the show. It was like an hour and a half. Everyone does their thing. It was fun. The whole way through, it was fun. I'm very proud of that. And then we go to... Uh, it was just such a great night. I feel like the tone of the night for me was exactly what I wanted. Like that, being around comedy and being around other open mic comics, just doing open mic stuff, just throwing shit against the wall, felt really good. I felt really lucky to be able to be there for that. And uh, then we jumped in a car and we drove over to Collingwood and there was another show at Dirty Secrets. And before the show, I was feeling hungry and uh, Alessio, who runs the show, was like, yeah, man, you should go next door. There's a place called Burger... What are they called? Burger... Burger King? No, it's, <laughs> it's not called Burger King, mate. Burger... Burger Champion? Burger Legend. What the fuck is this place called? Wait, I did a review of it. Burger Masters. There we go. It is stupid. It is as stupid as the suggestions. It's a dumb... It's such a bad name for a place. Burger Masters. But he goes, go Burger Masters and get a wrap. They're eight bucks. And he's like, it's like a full meal, bro. It's like a full meal. It's like you go there. It's eight bucks, but it's like a full meal. Um, And so I did. I went next door and I... um, It just... Uh, Maybe this is the same thing that I'm talking about with my comedy. I got in there. It's a new place. They've been there for a month. I spoke to the lady behind the counter. And I could tell how invested she was in me liking the place and liking the food. Like I told her, I was just like, oh, I just got a recommendation from the guy who runs the comedy next door. And she was like, oh, oh. She's like, oh, oh, great. Okay. Um, do you want me to bring it over? I'll bring it over for you. I can just bring it. And I'm like, yeah, it's all right. You know, I want to sit down. But I just got this like, yeah, we, okay, yes. What would you like? Thank you. Just this nervousness from her. But it, it was endearing. It made me want to enjoy it. Because I was like, fuck yeah. Like, it is nice. Okay, maybe nervousness doesn't lead to the best product, but like it is nice to see someone care so much about something like you care about this place, whether it's because you're financially invested or maybe you just love making raps or I don't know, maybe you're just not good at talking to people. Maybe I'm the first person you've spoken to all day 
And that's just put you in a spin. I don't know. I don't know what her deal was, but she just seemed nervous when she was talking to me and telling me about the food. And I wanted it to be good because I wanted it, I wanted it to be good so that she could be happy seeing me happy or whatever. I ate their thing. It was good. It wasn't incredible, but it was good. For eight bucks, ten bucks for a I got it like a chicken wrap with cheese. Ten bucks, man. That's very cheap. And then I got some chips and a drink after that because I wanted to sit and stay longer and enjoy the ambiance. Um, and that was fucking chips and a drink was six bucks. Sixteen dollars for like a full meal. It is good. You can't deny it. It's good. Um and uh and yeah, the guy came out afterwards when he brought my oh that was the thing that was the thing that really set it off she came out uh after i when i'd ordered chips she brought the chips out and she was like some fresh chips (laughs) fresh chips for you sir like it was just so sick fucking hurt my heart man fresh chips like you want it to be it's like they're chips man they're just fucking chips (laughs) what do you mean they're fresh like you grew the potato back there in the time from when I ordered to when I got them. Like, you fu- did you cut them up fresh or were they already cut up? If you do, if you cut them up there, that's inefficient. They should have come out quicker. <laughs> fresh chips. <laughs> Fuck, man, just so desperate for me to like it, but I still I like I liked that. But I guess half the reason why you go to a place like like a place called Burger Masters, it's not trying to be like a good place, you know? It's not trying to be like have the best burger or have some kind of artisan thing. It's called Burger Masters because the burger's fine. And they're just like, fuck, we need a name. Burger Masters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Chuck it on the sign. Whatever. And like it's next door to, I don't even know the name of the place. You know, the best places you don't even, the best shit places, you don't even know the fucking name. There's a place on Brunswick Street that I've been getting fucking pizza slices and dim sims at for fucking years. And I don't know what it's called. And I don't want to know what it's called. I go there and I get a $3 slice of pizza. It used to be two fifty, but it's gone up, you know, because that's what happens. Things change. People move on. But I, I, uh, I've been going there for years and I, I couldn't tell you what it's called, but I fucking walk in there and I love it and I love the pizza and the food's shit and it's unapologetically shit. Maybe that's what I want for my night, my comedy night. I want it to be shit and unapologetically shit. Like I love a shitty slice of pizza because it just tastes good. And I know it's not good for me, but it tastes good. I wonder if there's any people out there who just like a night of bad comedy. Other than comedians. I had fun with that. That night of comedy that I put on at Bobby Peel's is the equivalent of a fucking slice of Hawaiian pizza that's been sitting under a heat lamp for like two hours. It's like, it's not, yeah, it's not good, but like, it is good, you know? Um, Burger Masters, were ta- they were just talking about their whole, like, it's fresh. Maybe I didn't like it. You know what? Maybe I didn't like it. I can't tell whether I liked it or I didn't. I liked the lady and I liked the guy that were excited to serve me. And I liked that the guy was like, it's all fresh ingredients and it's all this and it's all that. And they were stoked about it and it was their place and they're obviously nervous for it to succeed. 
I just don't know if it's going to be successful because the place next door is another one of those places that I don't know the name, but they do pizza and it sits under the thing. It's not as good as the one on Brunswick Street, but it is pretty fucking good. Cheap pizza, whatever. And I'm just like, can can someone who cares compete with someone who doesn't? Because if you don't care, that, that, the place next door, they don't give a fuck. They don't care if you come in. They don't care if you buy shit. <laughs> they don't care if you like it. But they've got stuff and they'll sell it to you. And that is quite disarming. Like, yeah, man, come in or don't. Here's the food. Fuck you. And you're like, you know what? I want some of that fuck me food. Because <laughs> sometimes I feel like, you know what? Yeah, fuck me. You're right, man. Here's five bucks. Give me a bunch. Give me a big mouthful of disgusting pizza. Oh, next door, they're like, oh, do you, want, do you like it? I'm like, fuck, I don't know, man. Fuck off. <laughs> Shut up. Also, while I was in there, this is another thing. Maybe they're too nice in Burgermasters because I shouldn't say the name. I don't know. Whatever. Maybe they're too nice because there was some uh, homeless looking dude. Oh, not homeless looking. Let's just say homeless. Let's cut the crap. And he was soliciting donations. And I felt bad because I was in there and then there was a couple dudes sitting on another table. And they, I didn't like these guys because homeless dude walks in. And he's asking for donations. And these guys sitting inside the fucking place were like, we don't have any cash. They go, oh, they've got cash behind the counter. They'll give you some cash. They've got some cash in the tills. They've got heaps of cash. How fucked is that? Like he was just like going, like making fun. He was making fun of the homeless guy. Like, yeah, they'll give you some cash. He was making fun of the new place going, like putting that on them, trying to create this tension. I fucking hated those dudes. And I actually hated them so much that when the homeless guy came over to me, I was like, you know what? I'm giving this guy some fucking money. I gave him a $5 note. And uh, I almost immediately regretted the decision. I don't even know if I'm right to regret it, but he gave me, he had a sign and he was just like homeless, whatever. It was just written on the sign. And then he was fumbling around for another piece of paper um, after I gave him the money and I thought it was going to be another sign that was just like, thank you. I was like, oh, maybe he can't talk, but he didn't. He gave me this A4 piece of paper printed and, uh, I'll read what is written on this paper. And then I guess you guys make your own minds up as to whether me giving this guy five bucks was the right move. Dear readers, I was born on April 16th, 1971 on good Friday at three 30 in the morning. So at this point, I'm like, fuck, this is just going to be heartbreaking stuff. I'm like, this is going to be this guy's life story. And I, you know, I feel so, oh, back in 1971, they turned the clock back. Okay. Yep. Maybe that was the year that they introduced like daylight savings. I don't know. I'm like, this is pretty interesting. This guy's a good writer. And then he said, that's when they crucified Jesus. Okay. All right. Well, good Friday, I guess. Good Friday, 3.30 in the morning. All right. My name is Emmanuel. My grandfather's name is Alexander the Great. My last name is Alexander. My grandfather's name is Emmanuel. All right. Bit avant-garde now. A bit Peter Carey, maybe. We have a problem with religion. 
Every organization has messages from God. I believe it strongly. Jesus is my son. So you can either have me as a God or as the galaxy's owner. I own them all, the planets and galaxies. I love Jehovah, Jesus, Buddha, Sensei. When I made Adam and Eve, they said, make more people. Maybe I made another God for them. Then they said, make another God, more people. After a while, I got fed up and told them to live the best life they can. Life's made of choices. It's easy when you look at it my way. I bet you never thought that's what happened. That That's quite odd, isn't it? I bet you never thought that's what happened. An exclamation mark. I, at this point, when that, that was the line for me that I was like, okay, this has gone completely off the rails now. Because you didn't just say, not only does this not make any sense, but he also just didn't say anything about what, like, and this guy thinks he's God, but is Alexander the Great? I don't know, man. I never said to anybody, make a system. We have loopholes in the system that need to be fixed up. For example, poor people should not be able to have drugs. They can't afford them. If you are rich, you can have it. The poor can't have it. I've been writing letters to the public for 10 years telling people who I am. Maximum 200 pages a day is getting distributed. These are done in other people's handwriting, not my own. I'm the dictator. I can't even write. I just want to send decent people to their own planet. Thank you for reading. And then emmanuelalexanderides.blogspot.com.au, Emmanuel's first website, the best website. And I went to the website and there's nothing there. And I'm scared to throw this bit of paper out. It's cursed. It is cursed. Oh, man. Actually, I, I fucking... Another bit of media the other day that was sent to me by um, a comic who I'm not going to name because it's pretty fucked. There's another curse thing. The comic who, when he was telling me about it, he was just like, I watched this video and I feel like this is cursed. Like, I don't like this. And what it is, is a comedian who... Uh, apparently was abusive in a relationship and has since like doesn't get booked on any gigs and whatever. Um, he uh, wrote a song to his ex of saying sorry, just like real, look, I mean, fuck, I'm wading into waters that I don't really know that much about right now. I'm not going to claim to know anything about the mechanics of abusive relationships, whatever, but from what I've heard and my understanding, a lot of the kind of behaviors of abusive people is that they'll do the abusive thing that like, you know, inflict pain or like physical violence or whatever, and then come back and beg for forgiveness and be really kind until the person takes them back and then they'll repeat the same patterns. And that's like the cycle of abuse. And, um, this song was written and sung and performed and everything by this guy to his ex-partner and it's on YouTube and it's a private video and it's like fucking, there's like 30 something views on it and it's just him going like, I'm so sorry and I fucked up and really self-pitying tone and then, oh my God, like at one point at the end, he's just like, I'm sorry I hurt you, I'm sorry I yelled and uh, it's just that, it's just fucking, just a like this dude, what it felt like was I was watching this guy not be able to take accountability for his own actions, because in that situation, right, if you're in a, oh God, why am I talking about this, as if I fucking know anything about this, Jesus Christ, 
<laughs> but here I go. I want to say the thing that I'm trying to talk about. Um, oh, because what was it? There's a, it's like, okay, from the other side, if your friend has been in an abusive relationship, always, always the advice is don't fucking take them back. Don't. Don't do it. Because they're going to do the same thing. And if they're gonna, if they've changed, they're always gonna say that they've changed, right? But if they have changed, then go fucking change with someone else. I got, yeah, I got no fucking patience for that. Oh, they changed. I'm trying to help them. Well, good. Fucking, they can go help themselves and go get professional help and whatever. I think if you're out hurting people, I got no fucking sympathy for you know. Oh, I just need your help. I just need. No, fuck you. Go get professional help. Get a job make some money and pay for some fucking help or you know maybe there's like shit in the government set up whatever i don't fucking know it's not me right and if you're hurting someone it's not their responsibility to help you no you hurt them so you're done and that song was like a guy trying to have that he was basically he was trying to get his fucking ex back after he hurt her and it just and that that shows a, a lack of self-awareness that is like, she's going to be the one to help me. No, mate, she's not the one to help you. You got to be the one to help you. And you and her, that's done. That's over. And uh, yeah, I guess what was so creepy about it and so felt so fucking cursed was that this was a person who needs help, who is unable to recognize that they need help or the kind of help that they need. And uh, oh. Yeah, it was real fucking grotty. I do, I'm not happy that I watched it and I wouldn't wish it upon anyone, actually. And weirdly, that is what I feel when I read this letter. Even though, I mean, I get it is, right? That's too, this, uh, this is a letter that I've, this typed paper that I got from that homeless guy. It's another person who is just lost and needs help. And I don't know. That's sad, right? That person's just walking around Smith Street asking for money and giving people letters. What do we do about that? Are they okay? Do we give them help? Or we, who's the person who needs to give that person help? Or do they need to reach out? Like the abusive person who's abusing people and then my instinct is to go, no, you have to get your own help and that person's not going to help you because you hurt them, right? And that seems fair in that situation. But now there's this other person who's homeless. Do they have to get their own help? Is what I'm talking about right now making any fucking sense? <sighs> God. And then to bring it back to me, <laughs> am I maybe just a person who doesn't realize that he needs help? And so rather than getting my own help, I'm putting on fucking comedy nights and going, I want it to be bad. <laughs> Is that in its own way? <laughs> like indicative of a lack of self-awareness. I'm not trying to run a good night. I want to run a bad night. And I want to admit that it's bad because I'm fine. <laughs> Maybe when I put a call out for comedians on a fucking Facebook group and I go, I want someone to come to my room and say crazy shit. Maybe when people read that, they feel the same way as I feel when a homeless man hands me a letter saying that he's God. People read that and they're like, oh man, this guy's really sad. 
<laughs> this guy's too sad to even try and make something good, so he just wants something to be bad because that's all that he deserves. That's what he believes. Fuck. Maybe I need help. Well, I'm getting help. I got a fucking psych appointment in, in 90 minutes. <laughs> That I almost forgot about because instead I was going to do my podcast. The end of the night, I didn't, I I wasn't that happy with my Dirty Secrets, but it was great. The show was great. There were people down there. There was actually, I think, I don't know. There was probably too many people down there. I think without comedians, it doesn't, comedians don't count because we're technically performers. So that's like a fun fucking loophole, which is exactly what this Emmanuel person was talking about. What was he talking about? Loopholes. Um, fuck, I don't know. I'm going to stop reading that letter. It's a loophole. It's a loophole, right? You're allowed 10 audience members, but then you're allowed also all the performers that you want because technically they're like staff or something. I don't know. But they were, yeah, there was like, say there were like eight audience members and then there were like another 15 comedians down there. I don't know. feels like people are caring less and less about the COVID restrictions. And I, for one, am fucking in support of that. feels good to not care. I don't know. That's not a debate that I'm... Whatever. So after the gig, I, uh, I had a great convo with a mate, walked to his car. We talked. The time just went away, man. We were talking there for like 40 minutes, just talking shit about comedy Felt really fucking great just to have a laugh. And then I was walking home and um, this is the story that I was telling on stage last night to bring it back to the start of the podcast. And the thing that I was caring about last night that I feel like I want to talk about was this fight. I saw a fight. I had to walk from Collingwood and then I uh, I went down an alleyway to pee and then I came out of the alleyway and the tram that I was trying to catch down Nicholson Street had just left. And I was like, well, that'll fucking serve me right for going down an alleyway to pee like a grub. I missed my tram. It was like 11.30, so I was like, I'll just walk to Ligon Street. There's two trams that go down there. They're more frequent, so I'll have a better chance of waiting less time to catch one. And um, walking down Ligon Street, and as I get to the corner where I'm going to catch the tram, there's uh, a couple guys walking just like, you know, towards and past me that look kind of heightened in their emotions. And then a few more guys down from where they've been walking from they're like yelling like there's been a fight and um the line that i said on stage last night was i was like i if if there's a fight like i never i would never wish for anyone to be hurt i don't want anyone to get hurt but if someone's gonna get hurt anyway i absolutely want to see so i'm curious to watch this fight um around the corner and there's another, there's like not the fight, the first one, there's like another one that's kind of happening. People are yelling, pushing each other. And I see directly, like I'm, I've got like a full fucking view of this guy get punched in the face. I saw his face like contort as the fist, like hit him square in the face, man. I heard the sound. They're like, can you hear that on the mic? They're like, you know, I, I heard the whole sound, man. And after he got punched in the face, his hands were still out. Like his, his palms were out. Like he was still trying to de-escalate the thing. That guy was a hero who got punched in the face. And then the cops pulled up and all the people that were a part of the fight kind of dispersed down alleyways and stuff. And the cops went in the wrong direction. They started talking to other people who were part of this other fight and the fight that had just happened. One of the cops went the wrong way and then the other one started to go the right way. I was watching it all because I was at the tram stop like watching the whole scene unfold. 
So one of the cops went the wrong way and then one of them went the right way, but then looked and saw that his other cop friend was over the other place. So he turned and went the other way. And I was there just going like, no, man, in my head. I'm like, no, wrong, that way. But I was also scared to, I kind of felt like I wanted to finger the people who, you know, I wanted to be like, it was them. I saw the fight. It was that guy over there standing behind the building. There was literally a guy standing behind the corner of a building. I could see his white shoes poking up the side and the cops didn't fucking go over and talk to him. I'm like, how fucking dumb are you? But like... Yeah, I kind of wanted to just say that. I kind of want to be like, him, over there. I saw it. But I also, I didn't want to give a statement, one. And two, I just felt like if I go, it was him, then they'll all be aggressive towards me. And then I'm like, whatever. I just didn't want to get involved. So I just didn't. Um, and There was a, after a while, there were a couple guys behind me at the tram stop who I guess looked like they'd been part of the fight and everything was still happening. Like some of the guys who were in it were still walking around pretending like, you know, well, I'm just out having my night. But like, so clearly the kind of people who would have just been in a fight, they're like walking around, like talking into their phones in a real serious way. Like as if that's going to make them invisible to the police. I don't fucking know. Police are so dumb. And also these guys are so dumb. They're all dumb. And I'm smart standing at the tram stop, observing the whole scene but not doing anything. So there were these two guys behind me and I took my headphones out because I kind of I kind of still felt like a little bit threatened, you know? They were standing either side of me and I was like, oh, is this weird or the cops are right there. Surely if people are going to jump me, it's not going to happen next to a cop car. But I took my headphones out just in case, looked at one of the guys and he said hi to me and I said hi to him. They were young dudes. They were like 20. And... Uh, I just, to make conversation, I was like, oh, did you see the fight that just happened? And, um, yeah, the guy was like, yeah, man, like, you know, yeah, man, like, it's fucking crazy, bro. It was like 50 Indian boys all came out and like, you know, they was just like jumped us and jumped some of my boys, you know, boys like I grew up with my whole life, man. Like I'm a Coburg boy. So like we're down here. He was just talking like that. And this is what I was talking to Chelsea about at the gig yesterday. I was telling her about it because that was a story that I told on stage. And I just feel like I want to talk about it a little bit more because the conversation that I had with this guy was really interesting to me because he reminded me of how I felt when I was like, when I was 18, I think all I wanted to do was go out and see my friends and be around people that I felt like, I felt like I was accepted and something that I'm, remembering and kind of noticing is that it always felt like we were in danger or like under threat, you know, it always felt like we were fighting against something. Like there was always the cops on the lookout for like selling drugs, which is what some of my mates were trying to do, or they were just out there to, to like spoil our fun or whatever. And, um, you know, and I'd had like run-ins with the cops for dumb, like, vandalism shit that I did so I didn't like cops I felt like they were out to get me as well and whenever it felt like there was people out to get us it always made me and my friends feel closer to each other and that made me feel more accepted and maybe that was something that I'd never felt growing up like I always felt like I didn't have the place where I belonged and then meeting these people and feeling like we we're all fighting against this thing made me feel like I did have somewhere to feel safe 
and accepted. And I remember like being 18, going out clubbing and being in that world was the first time I really did feel like, fuck man, this is my people and I feel accepted here. And it was really important to me. And talking to this kid about that and the way that he was talking about, you know, these like 50 Indian guys and this, it, it, it kind of felt like, I remember having this th- feeling like, man, the city's on fire. The whole city is crazy and we're just here in the middle of it and I love it. And I was getting that from him. Like that was his perspective, you know? And I was talking to Chelsea about it and she was saying that it's almost like play. It almost sounds like you're playing, you're in this world, this like imaginary world. And um, I don't know, I don't know what I'm trying to say about it, but I just really liked talking to that kid and it made me conscious of the fact that I'm no longer in that world because all I could say to him, when I walked away, I kind of wished I'd asked him about his life a little bit more. I I wish I'd been like, what do you do? You know, do you study or do you have a job or whatever? But I didn't when he said, you know, 50 Indian guys, he was talking about like, they have this venue down there and they fucking, they should close that venue. It's fucked. All I could say was like, yeah, man, that's really sad. Cause that's how it made me feel that there's all this fighting. It just, I was like, it's really sad. And then he goes, um, and then he goes like, oh, and you know, there was a drive by the other day, man. It was crazy. Like fucking month ago, there was a fucking drive by just down Ligon street, fucking shot him out the car. And I was like, no way was there a fucking drive by on Ligon street, you know, like surely not because I know there was a, I read the fucking guardian every day. I read too much news. I read news all the time compulsively because I'm a fucking idiot. And I read on The Guardian like a week ago, there was a a shooting in Sydney in the CBD. And if there was a shooting in Sydney and I read about it in The Guardian, surely if there was a shooting in Melbourne, I would have read about it. That was my logic. There wasn't a shooting here because I didn't read about it and I would have. And that I was just like, you know, this guy is just living in this fucking world that is completely a fantasy, but that's what makes him feel safe maybe. And anyway, I talked about it on stage last night had this conversation with Chelsea about that story and, you know, just kind of wondering why these guys live in this world and what's going on at home and whatever. And I'd spoke to my girlfriend about it as well. And then last night on my way home, I was like, you know what? Let me just Google drive by or like, no, let me Google like shooting Ligon Street. And (laughs) it turns out there actually was a drive by shooting on Ligon Street at 4am, like a month ago in May. He was right. <laughs> there was a shooting on Ligon Street and I'm just walking down the street going, fuck yeah, is there a fight? Let me check that out. The streets are really dangerous. The city is on fire and I'm out here in the middle of it. <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know what I'm trying to say, but I think that's the end of the podcast for this week. I was going to have another show at Bobby Peels this Saturday, but I forgot. That well, I didn't forget. I just didn't think I'm going away this weekend for my girlfriend's birthday. So not going to have a show this week. Might have one next week. I don't know. I'll post it in the hubs. Um, have a good week, guys. Thank you for listening. This has been Aiden Jones sitting under a tree. Peace. <laughs>